And, you know, it, it's cool. Like my, my two biggest beefs have been with a car dealership and a radio station. So. <laughs> Hi, I'm Aaron and welcome to the hip hop hustle podcast where we explore, well, you guessed it, hip hop. I'll be interviewing the best artists in the game while also taking some time to appreciate some new and classic albums. Make sure you like and subscribe to the show and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for any upcoming news and guests. Also, don't forget to check out my new Patreon under Hip Hop Hustle that will give you exclusive content and help me keep the show running and getting better. All right, let's get into it. There we go. Welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle podcast. I'm with a fantastic artist, Felix the Cat. I when I read the name, I had to double check. Oh, it's sorry, Bag of Tricks Cat. I completely I've been listening to your music, so I've been distracted by literally what you're saying yeah. in the track. So uh Bag of Tricks Cat. I saw you the look on your face and I was like, all right, make sure you say the oh, right no. name. A lot of people do that. You know what I mean? It's cool. <laughs> But if you haven't heard uh, his music, definitely check it out. Uh, you're also, I mean, you've you're also an audio engineer, so you've been doing, you know, a lot of work. You're, you've hit the Billboard charts, so I, th- I feel like a lot of people that I speak to are getting, you know, for some reason, not as recognized as, you know, they're not big names in the game, despite the accolades they get in hip hop. But I mean, I've been listening to your track literally nonstop a hundred years. I'm obsessed with that. Oh, yeah, 100 years. <laughs> oh, it is amazing. And the cool thing as well is that it samples your grandmother as well, and then you've got that bit at the end with her. So if you haven't checked it out, uh, please check it out. That's uh, one of the things that I've been just literally, I reckon before I spoke to you, I've been listening to that nonstop for the last half an hour. It's just so catchy. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Well, another track that I actually did want to discuss was Cease and Des- Desist. Because oh okay yeah yeah right. so I'm diving straight in because I I like you get a bit of the story but it obviously has to do with your grandmother and she's for anyone who doesn't know a jazz musician as well um and you know you get a lot of musical talent from there but tell me about that track what was that inspired like what inspired that song well cease and desist uh, was a response to um, the Felix Chevrolet dealership sending me a cease and desist on my album uh, back in 2019. So I put out an album called Felix Chevrolet uh, that paid homage to the the dealership. It's an iconic uh, car dealership in Los Angeles. And they have a big sign that has Felix the Cat on it. And it's Felix Chevrolet. It's been there for a very long time. Um, And I actually uh, went down to the dealership. I was at the Grammys uh, in 2019. And so while I was there, I went down there because I I really wanted to shoot a video at the dealership. And so I met up with the GM and uh, I showed him like my artwork for the album, which was me sitting on top of the Felix Chevrolet building. And you see the sign and stuff. It was all, you know, drawn. Um, I commissioned a, a really dope artist named uh, Donji Designs uh, to make the artwork. Anyway, um, I showed him the artwork. I told him, you know, about my grandma and, you know, everything that I do and, you know, the whole nine. And he just couldn't get over it. He thought it was so cool. Even some of the, you know, associates that were there, he called them over and wanted them to meet me and stuff. And, you know, I asked him, I said, so is it cool if I shoot a music video here? And he said, yeah, like, 
that's totally fine. Uh, just as long as you pay for the insurance in case there's like, you know, for liability. I said, okay, that's fine. So I left, I looked into the insurance and it was like outrageous, you know, to cover me for a day at the dealership. It was several thousand dollars just for the insurance. So something that I couldn't do. So I passed on doing the video there, but online, you know, on Instagram and Facebook, you know, I would tag the dealership and, you know, check in there with like a geo tag and stuff. And they would, you know, always support it. They would comment on it, you know, send me little flame emojis, and, you know, all that uh, leading up to the release. And uh, it came out, everything was great. Um, and then it charted. And then a couple of weeks later, I, I hop on my Instagram and the GM is DMing me saying, um, I told you, you couldn't use uh that cover art yada 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 and uh you need to cease and desist and take down this whole album and stuff and you know which totally like was out of the blue because when i was there like he was all into it and you know throughout the entire campaign leading up to the album they were really supportive online so um it just took me back a minute and then um i took down the album and um, I redistributed it with the artwork pixelated. And uh, I changed the C in Stubberlay to an S. And it was really like the politest way I could say, go fuck yourself to them. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, in the midst of all that, there was a lot of um, controversy actually around me and that album because some people you know, said that I had all the rights in the world to do what I did. And then some people, you know, were on the opposing side and said, no, uh, you know, I shouldn't have done what I did. And um, so I made that record uh, cease and desist as a kind of response to the whole situation. It's so interesting to me because it's so strange. Like I'm always <laughs> of the opinion that like all publicity is good publicity. And it's weird to me that like, I'm sure you can, you've seen the messages that they're like tagging and they're like all good. Like you would think that in the buildup, they would tell you don't do this rather than oh, yeah. wait till it charts. What I personally feel like is they saw a chart and they felt like I had, I, I made a lot of money because it charted and they probably felt like the reason that it was successful was because of them which is crazy. Um, and so they got kind of upset uh, and probably felt something was owed to them. And, um, or maybe, you know, there was somebody above the GM, you know what I mean? That got word of it and started putting pressure on him. Um, I'm not really sure what happened, but uh, yeah, that's, that's how it turned out. So. so did they follow up at all? So he, he, the GM sends you DMs saying, Hey, do this. What was, was there any follow-up? Cause me personally, I would be like a DM is not going to get me to do anything. I'm just going to ignore it. You want to know what the follow-up was? Yeah. One of their sales associates about a, a month after the ordeal, reaching out to me, asking if I wanted to buy a vehicle from the dealership. <laughs> <laughs> that was the follow-up. That was the follow-up I got. <laughs> so did they not like actually, so there was no court order or anything like that. It was literally. No, there was no, I, I wanted to avoid, um, I wanted to avoid any 
thing like that. You know what I mean? So I just did the the cease and desist. And, you know, it, it really ended up being a really bad look for them because, um, you know, uh, in Phoenix, at least where, where I'm from, you know, the Phoenix New Times and the Arizona Republic and a lot of like the, the news media out here picked it up. And uh, it just wasn't a good look for them that they're, you know, essentially just picking on the grandson of the woman who sang the song that made the cat famous in the first place. You know what I mean? So it's uh, it just wasn't a good look for them. And the public opinion of the people who know that story generally sways to, you know, the people at Felix Chevrolet are assholes. And, you know, it is what it is. And I didn't even really rally like my fans or, or anybody online to be like, you know, let's attack them and yada, yada, yada. But I kept getting, even to this day, I get tagged like in people like going to the dealership and flipping them off and uh, people leaving bad reviews and sending them hate messages and stuff. And I'm like, yo, like I'm, I'm happy to see you're passionate about it, but I don't, I don't really care, you know, at least anymore. Yeah, well, because that was like two years ago, right? Yeah, that was in 2019. Okay, so it's it's interesting. I feel like fans, like once they pick up a story or they pick up like a, they're like, I'm going <laughs> to run with this forever. And they never let Oh, you they hold it. a grudge. Yeah, yeah, my fans have held a grudge against the Felix Chevrolet dealership. So <laughs> let me ask you this. Would you take a, a car for free? Yeah, I'd take a car for free. Well, Felix Chevrolet, step up. You were, yeah, I'll move at the beginning. Now, get him a free car. Yeah, get me get me a free Chevy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Were you worried when you changed the name about like what that could do to the album? Because like, as much as it's obviously because you charted because of the music, then all of a sudden the name of the album chains changes after it charts. You know your your album art changes. Were you worried that like people would? kind of not recognize the album even though like the music is like it it's kind of throws it off because everything you've been doing in terms yeah. of promotional material changes yeah i mean i feel like though when the thing with the dealership happened it put more people onto it than even that that even already knew about it you know the the fans and the people that that follow me and 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 were fans of that album, they knew what was going on with the album. You know what I mean? As soon as, you know, I publicly put it out there that that's what was happening, you know, they pretty much everybody was aware of what was going on. And so, um, yeah, in in a way it actually helped the album. Um, you know, I saw uh, a huge spike in uh, streams and sales and everything uh, once, the controversy with the dealership happened. So uh, it actually kind of helped it in, instead of hurt it. But I was a little concerned, you know, in the sense of, um, you know, I spent a lot of money on advertising and, and putting money into, into marketing the album. And now it's kind of null and void. But, um, you know, it did what it was supposed to do. And it ended up not hurting the album. It actually ended up helping it and gives it kind of like this cult, um, you know, story behind it uh, that people always ask me about. So uh, I think it really added to it. Well, I think the narrative is cool now. Like it adds just another layer of like, you know, I think people jump on interesting parts, especially in, in hip hop is like 
a bit of controversy never goes astray in hip hop. Like they just like, even I'm like that. If there's a beef or if there's like any sort of back and forth, everyone jumps on that shit straight away. Oh, 100%, 100%. And you know, it, it's cool. Like my, my two biggest beefs have been with a car dealership and a radio station. So, <laughs> so what was the radio station beef? Now I'm interested in this, but it is interesting that you're fighting with like companies rather than like oh, yeah, you know, individuals. It's more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, the, the beef with the radio station and stuff was um, Power 98 is, you know, and has been for a long time, like the biggest um, hip hop station in the state of Arizona, which is where I'm from. And um, a big gripe that um, I'm, uh, my partner, uh, Justice, he runs a company called Respect the Underground. Uh, we had a, a gripe because they didn't fully support the local hip hop scene. And they had like a specialty show, like, you know, two hours a week on Sunday nights where, you know, they don't even have to report to BDS about what they're playing, um, where they would play like some local records and stuff. But no records other than a very few exceptions got actual like weekly and daily radio rotation and so you know me and my business partner just actually called them out on it and we just said yo uh power doesn't care about arizona hip-hop or artists that are from here and that sparked a whole big controversy when we did that and um so how did you yeah, call them out what so how did you call them out like was it just on social media or what did you do we uh we made a billboard that says power doesn't care about Arizona hip hop. And we put it up and took a picture of it and posted it online. <laughs> okay. So not exactly the smallest fuck you, but it was, it was pretty big. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you know, that was another very controversial thing. Um, and you know, a lot of opinions about it, you know, some, some people on one side, some people on the other, um, and I did, uh, I did some type of response to, uh, for that, but, um, yeah, I mean, things are, things are good with power now. It's, it's kind of squashed it. You know what I mean? They just played one of my, uh, one of my new records on there a few weeks back. So, you know, everything's cool now, but there definitely was some tension. I think it was in 2018. There definitely was some tension there. <laughs> did they respond at all? Like, obviously it's cool now. Oh, but yeah. What was their response? Oh yeah. The program director, uh, the, the program director at the time uh, responded. And then the, the program director from uh, the past had uh, actually made a statement and it just made it worse because he said, yes, we do not care about Arizona hip hop. We care about selling ads and we need records that have lots of listenership already. So no, we don't care. And it just further like dug the hole even deeper. So <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was fun times. It's an interesting way to fight that beef where it's like, no, he's right. And that's like, <laughs> it, it, you know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. We don't actually care. Put that billboard back up. It's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So good times. Good times. I actually feel like radio stations struggle with that because like it is a business and obviously their business is based on ads, not on oh, actually yeah. playing music. So it's like, 
I reckon like even here in Australia, we have that a lot. Like they play Australian music, but they don't play Australian hip hop. And they don't really play much hip hop in Australia anyway on the radio. But like, you know, even their indie kind of radio stations like Triple J, they, they've started doing that kind of stuff. But it's like that, like you said, it's the specialty nights of like, all right, we're going to show you like four tracks and that's it for the week. Or they're just going to show you oh, yeah. what's hot, but they don't actually really promote too much of the underground. <laughs> yeah. And you want to know what, like, to be honest with you, like, I don't really care about the support of terrestrial radio at all. Um, you know what I mean? It's cool. And I appreciate like when a DJ at a radio station or a radio jock, you know, spins my records and stuff, but that's not really the goal with my own music. Um, because, you know, I don't really make music that's, you know, for the radio necessarily. Um, and I don't think the radio is a make or break thing in 2021 and hasn't been for many years. I think that, um, you know, most people are just streaming their records. They, they're playing what they want to hear on demand. And so, um, you know, I, I don't see like radio support making or breaking, you know, artists today, at least. I think the real problem with radio, it's very much like TV is ads. And it oh, is yeah. the fact that I reckon if they played music nonstop, you'd have more listeners. But like, I think ads kill everything and Spotify, iTunes, all those, you don't have to listen to ads anymore. And so why yeah. would you continue? Even serious. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's just one of these things no one wants to be advertised to. They just want to be able to enjoy their music or their podcast without ads. And it's like, no wonder they're dying arts. Like the only thing that's saving radio is that people still drive cars. And so they still listen to the radio in the car. But now with the tech, you just sync up your Spotify. And I'd never listen to radio. People say, what do you listen to on the radio? I'm like, why would I do that? Yeah, I, I can't remember the last time I put on the radio in my car. You know, um, and I feel like a lot of people are like that. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think it's cool when radio supports, but I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it makes or breaks anybody anymore. Well, how do you think the, the the game has changed? Like, obviously, we're talking about streaming now being kind of the king. How do you adapt in terms of your strategy to get streams versus obviously in radio, you just get like the the radio heads supporting you essentially. You know, you get the DJs to be like, I like your stuff and they just play it. But how do you get the attention on streaming services now? It's harder, um, you know, a lot of the support that I've gotten is from like fans that will buy physical copies and buy, uh, you know, a digital copy. Um, and, you know, streaming is cool, but the real support is actually buying directly from the artist. Um, but the streams are important. Um, streaming is a little bit trickier because um, there's just such a saturation of music out today. You know, I forgot what it was, the Spotify figure, but something like 50 or 60,000 songs are uploaded to Spotify a day. Wow. So like you're competing against all these different artists from the indie level to the mainstream level to the amateur level. It, it's just, you know, a total, you know, overload of content. And so you have to kind of stick out 
You know what I mean? You have to be more than just a musician. Um, I feel like you have to be more personal with your fans now. Um, you know, they have to have a sense for who you are as a person um, just outside of your music and uh, be able to relate to you really well. And so um, I think that the, the key to getting streams and getting any type of support, especially now and especially for indies, is to build that connection with fans, is to, is to find people that like your music and then build that connection with them. Um, but yeah, like the, a, a positive side, though, of streaming is the convenience um, you know what I mean? It, it doesn't cost anybody anything to just check you out. You know what I mean? To just give you a listen and see if you like it, you know, compared to if, you know, we went back 20 years ago and they had to buy a CD or they had to tune into a certain channel and wait to hear the song. Like it's a lot more convenient for the listeners to listen to something new and see if they like it. Um, but yeah, there's pros and cons to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, with music, you just have to adapt the industry. You just have to adapt to what's going on because it's constantly going to change. And, you know, music is, and all entertainment is just, uh, a reflection of today's climate in the world. So, um, it's always adapting and changing on both the creative end and the, the business end. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of a it's a weird kind of mix where like if you if you're an establishing if you've got like a name you're establishing yourself in the industry it becomes easier because people get to see more of you because there's more access points but to start it's like easy to get your music out there it's just hard to get traction so it's like yeah. you've got to build momentum and once you've got momentum it just everything takes off it's just hard to get that initial momentum purely because you're right. There's so much music out there, but yeah, it's sensory overload, you know, and that's another thing too. Like people don't like being advertised to you said it yourself. And so like, even like running ads and stuff and I'm not to, you know, uh, discredit anybody who runs ads. I run ads and not to discourage anybody from running ads because they are important, but the majority of people don't like being advertised to. And so, you know, you have to, it's tricky to, to make new fans because like, I mean, how many times have you been on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube and you see something that's sponsored and you just scroll right past it or you skip it? You know what I mean? So like, you can't just count on running ads to uh, help you build the following. It's going to be a piece of it, but it can't be a crutch. You have to literally stand out and you have to uh, you have to be the one to uh, reach out and let people know that you even exist. Um, whether that be, you know, through collaborating with other artists that already have followings to um, being active online and engaging with people. I think it's a little bit of everything. Um, but yeah, like you can't just solely rely on ads to, to build up your following. Well, I mean, one question that I always would ask is like, let's say your ad is successful and people come to you, why would they stay? And if the problem is that people are going to where you're advertising, but they're not staying, then you haven't developed your own personal brand yet. So it is a catch 22. You can't like advertising only gets people to know that you might exist, but if people know that you exist and then they're like, nah, fuck this, 
then what's the point yeah. of the ad? And it could also be too that you're not putting that ad in front of the right people. You know what I mean? Maybe there's nothing wrong with the brand or the product, but you're putting it in front of the the people that don't appreciate it and don't want to follow it. And you're not reaching the audience that you need to reach. So like, it's hard, it's hard to navigate through because you know what I mean? You can look at it either way. You can say, Oh, like maybe my stuff isn't where it needs to be. And that's why it's not working out. Or it could be my stuff is where it needs to be, but I'm not putting it in front of the right people. And so you kind of have to figure it out and navigate on your own uh, to just build that following up and to uh, build up hype and excitement around your releases. Well, how did you navigate that? How did you navigate, obviously, building your own brand, building your own, you know, personal story while also, you know, getting fan support? Like, how was that journey? Because, I mean, you've dropped a few albums, like I think it's like five albums that you've dropped uh, from memory. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think it's like four or five. Something, something like uh, that. <laughs> but like, uh, how did you develop that brand? Well, you know what? I, I've been doing music even before, um, even before streaming and stuff was a thing when I was a teenager and uh, even a little younger than that. When I was 16, I was, you know, pressing CDs and, and performing at concerts and selling tickets and you know what I mean? Shooting music videos and doing my thing. So like, you know, I, I had going into like the age of streaming and stuff, like I already kind of had like a grassroots following that had, you know, bubbled up. Um, it's in today's climate, you know what I mean? I really rely on that following and I have a lot of love for like the people that have followed me for a long time. Um, and like I gain new fans and a lot of the time too, is it's from collaboration um, and not necessarily just through a feature, you know what I mean? But um, being, you know, on the engineering side and, and recording and mixing for somebody or, you know, doing a feature with an artist or having an artist feature on mine and, you know what I mean? Uh, opening up for people and, and networking um, a lot of, being online is great and like you have to be online and you have to network and engage with with people online but you but you can't just rely on that like to me like you have to go out and and meet people you know like you can start like in your city you know what i mean like you can start where you're at and just start going to local events and okay, this DJ is always DJing at these local shows. I need to get to know this DJ. Okay. These other artists are opening up on the show. Like I'm going to get to know them. You know what I mean? Oh, they brought a bunch of people. Like I'm going to do a song with them. You know what I mean? And, and start to, you know, just get your name out there and, and let people be aware of you. Um, and then after that, being able to tour, touring helped me tremendously. I've, I've done four or five tours over the years, um, uh, several with Megaran. And, um, you know, touring has helped tremendously because you're doing that, but you're doing that in multiple places. You know, um, you know I'm from Phoenix, but I, I have a lot of fans in Washington and Seattle and Salt Lake and San Diego. 
You know what I mean? And that's because like I went out there several times and did shows and collaborated with people out there and you know what I mean? Made my presence known. So um, I don't feel like I would have got that by just sending ads over to that state and just doing it. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's the combination of everything to be able to even just get that foundation strong enough for you to be able to build on. And you want people talking about you as well, like people that you meet to be able to vouch for you because they know oh, someone yeah. who knows someone who knows someone. I mean, that's how I run the podcast is like, you know, the only reason I I come like figure out who you are and, and get credit is I have interviewed people that you've worked with. I've interviewed Whitney Payton and then I get to see, and then, you know, you build a slow kind of relationship network where you're like, these are all the people that I've spoken to. And then you're like, Oh, they know this person. Let me see if I can get that person. It just kind of, cause otherwise yeah. it adds like I'm, I would get zero interviews if all I did was just ads. Because everyone will be like, look at this guy who's just putting up ads. What's uh, like, no one's going to hit me up, go, oh, nice ad. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, you don't, that's not how it works. Like you got to, you know, go through, be willing to be like, I can't tell you how many times I've messaged people that haven't responded and then they finally respond and you get an interview. It's just like same thing. And especially for a musician, you got to tour. Because even if a fan's on the fence, they might buy a ticket. And if you kill it, they become a fan. So you get oh, to yeah. have that you know, experience and that live show gives them something other than streaming and you really, and touring gives you so much in terms of exposure, money, and you get people buying merch, all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a combination of everything. You know, it takes all those moving parts to really get everything going. Um, if you're missing one, it's, it's that much harder to, to build. It's that much harder to, build up momentum you know what i mean and, and be able to capitalize off that so you really like it's a it's a juggling act you really need to to do it all <laughs> and you know for indies um you know indies are very diy um do it yourself uh, whitney payton is a, a great example of that whitney is very diy uh very talented just beyond music um, with the way that she handles her, her marketing, um, she does a lot of her own graphic design and, you know, everything for her artwork to her merch and, uh, handles pretty much all of the administrative side of things. And I mean, I've even seen her, uh, uh, edit some of her own music videos and, you know what I mean? Like it, there's so much to do, you know, um, that, yeah, like. You, you have to be able to juggle everything at once in order to make it work. Well, how do you manage your time? Because like, I feel like this is something that people forget and what they think a reality of an artist is like, all you do is make music. But in reality, every artist, regardless of whether you're Drake or whether you're starting out, your time is completely taken up. Like I'm sure Drake has like, has to post all the time. He has, has so many media commitments or he has commitments. So he's always doing something. He's not just recording music. And then when you're an indie, you may not have the same clout, but you're essentially working all the time because you got to, yeah. you know, promote, you got to do, do it all yourself. But how do you manage 
the time wise and to be able to make sure that you're still producing music that you can be proud of? You know, I kind of go through for me personally, and everybody's different, but me personally, I kind of go through uh, phases. So like I'll have like a recording phase and like for a little while, like I'll, I'll be writing and recording a lot of songs. And then once I have like a, a nice handful of songs, then I go into the mixing phase. And as the songs are being mixed, I'm mixing them based off of priority. So the songs that I consider to be singles that I would more than likely shoot a music video to, and you know what I mean, really pump, those are going to be the ones that I handle first. And then I start arranging, like, you know, getting a music video together and, you know, getting all that lined up, figuring out a timeline for my campaign of when things are going to come out. And, you know, if I'm going to run ads and stuff, figuring out what my budget's going to be. And um doing all that and then there's the time of executing it all and you know what i mean doing on a run and as the execution is happening i'm shifting back into like writing and recording at the same time so it kind of like is a cycle you know um i don't just make songs and then put them out um it would be really difficult to keep up with. Um, I always have a, a, a handful of records that are ready to go. And, uh, you know, I release them based off of where I'm at in my cycle and what my goals are. So that's kind of how I handle it. But everybody's a little different. Well, how do you view people who just release music nonstop? Because I feel like there are some people who just, they write, they record, they drop, and they literally are doing that 24-7 and they release like three albums in one year. And I have no idea how they have the time to... It's possible, but those are like an artist that does that successfully already has a large enough following that, you know what I mean, will allow that. So like somebody that's, you know, more indie and is still building, like it would number one you're not giving the records enough time to build up momentum so it's you're not getting your money's worth out of the investment of making the record both in your time and your finances so um i don't think that really works for everybody but it does work for some people you know what i mean um there's some artists who have a bigger following and they could drop a song every week if they wanted to and it would do well and their fans would respond to it well because there's so many of them, you know, that it's going to just catch. But that that's not the case for everybody. And also, too, like every song and, and every piece of content costs money to make. And even if you do everything yourself, if it doesn't cost money, then it costs time. So, you know, it's it's that balance of, you know, knowing where you're at, knowing how many fans you have, how much content you can realistically create um, given the amount of time that you have and the budget that you have. I mean, there's a lot of factors into that, but uh, for some people that, that definitely works, but for others that it wouldn't be a, a good move. I always have the question though, of like, if you have enough content to be able to do it, but your album isn't the best, I'm like, 
don't release three albums, release one and make sure it's all fire. Cause I like my only concern and this would be my concern is like that I have amazing songs that are burnt on average projects because I'm not picky enough or I'm not really constructing it well enough and then giving it the time of day to kind of catch. And I feel like there's, because people are fighting for attention, they've got lost in the art form of like, Hey, you're better off waiting and making sure your album is fire. So it's undeniably good rather than going, yeah, let's, because if they listen to a, a poor track of yours that's on an album, there's no guarantee they'll listen to a different one. That's better. It's like, okay. So you kind of almost lose your opportunity. So it's about opportunity cost there as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, everybody's different. Not, it's not a one size fits all uh, with anything in the arts, whether it's music or film or design. Um, there's no one size fits all. And especially when you start getting into the business and aspect of it and what works, you know, um, somebody, you know, may put a lot of time into their YouTube and they may blow up off of it. And then somebody else may do the same thing and it just doesn't work for them, but maybe they put a lot of time into their Instagram or something and that's what caused them to blow up or somebody didn't do either. They put a lot of time into their merch and their, their clothing blew up and that made their music blow up. So like, you know, not everything is going to work for everybody, but it's going to work for somebody, you know? So if, uh, you know, putting out a lot of songs, you know, is, is working for an artist, then they should just keep putting out a lot of songs because their fans are responding to them. And, you know, they keep listening to what they keep putting out. But if you're putting out a lot of songs and uh, your fans aren't responding to them, people aren't really digging them, you're seeing numbers steadily decline or not even increase, just kind of staying the same. Um you know, then it's time to figure out something else that, you know, is going to be more successful. I think the the main message is don't be scared to adapt. And I think yeah. people, uh, rather than they, they're scared to do something different because they're like, oh, but my fans are expecting me to do this because I told them I would. Where in reality, your job is to make sure you get better. So if you get better and just do something else, your fans will appreciate that. I feel like that's more where you got to find your lane rather than being like, I have an idea. It doesn't work. And I still do it. Like it, yeah. it's just, what do you think is going to happen? It's not going to take, like you've been doing it for two years already and it's just not working for you. So it's, let's focus on something else. Or maybe you need to focus on, you know, the visuals or you need to focus on production. But I mean, for you, I mean, the good thing is that you've got not only, yourself as an artist but you're also an engineer so you've got both avenues of like the music industry yeah and you know i have a lot of fun in the studio you know um a lot of people ask me if i prefer one or over the other and honestly like i i don't i can't say that i do i used to feel like i preferred like making the songs and stuff more than the engineering aspect of it but as the years have gone by, I realized that I just enjoy the process. I just enjoy being in the studio and just enjoy the process of making a record. Um, and so it doesn't really matter what end I'm on. Um, 
but I can tell you, I don't like doing them at the same time. Uh, when I make, when I, when I'm the artist and stuff and I, and I'm making the songs, then I am not worried any, I'm not worried at all about the engineering aspect because I want all of my attention and focus to be on, you know, my performance uh, for the song and not worrying about um, my gain staging and compression and, you know what I mean? I, I don't want to have to worry about any of that. So um, I keep them separate for myself, but I do enjoy them both a lot. So when did you start to do engineering? Was that later on or like, how did that come about? I mean, so again, like I come from, you know, a, a time in music where DIY had just started being a thing. When I was a teenager, they uh, really first started releasing like commercial, like cheap interfaces, you know, that you could buy for, you know, just a home studio and not break the bank. So I had a buddy in high school who had a Mac. He had a little Mbox interface and a cheap microphone. He started recording me. And even before that, I was recording myself. I was recording myself on Audacity, like with a USB mic and stuff. And then um, out of high school, I went to, to college. I didn't graduate, but I went to college and I took uh, the, uh, the music classes, uh, the audio classes there. And um, yeah, I really got into it. And th at that point, um, I started uh, getting more comfortable uh, in the seat of the engineer. And my cousin at the time, uh, my big cousin, Brian, he had uh, just quit his job and he was doing full-time engineering. He turned his garage into a studio at that time. And so um, I was spending a lot of time with him and recording my stuff there. And um, yeah, uh, in 2016, we ended up getting the commercial building that we're in and uh, we built two rooms. And um, since 2017, I've, uh, I've been open to, you know, other artists and, and working a lot with other artists in the studio. That's so cool. Like, because it, it, whenever I hear these stories, it's like you forget that people start at home, that everyone's oh, yeah. first studio is at home. Like, I'm doing this at home. So, like, it, and then, you know, you look at all these big companies and where they started is like literally like two guys, a desk in a garage. And then yeah. you see the journey. It just, it's like for me personally, it's like always so inspiring because you're like, it's about the journey. It's don't look at like the end because you got to get there somehow. It's not like they click their fingers and they have massive corporate offices. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to get discouraged, you know, and you kind of just, you kind of have to be a psycho and just, and just keep going. There's no other way. Like when, when it seems like everything is going wrong and, and like, there's no progress and stuff, you have to just keep going and, and figure it out. Um, and if you stop, like every time you stop, you don't pick back up where you left off. You start again from the top. You know what I mean? So like, it's important to just keep going, like no matter what. And, you know, like, it's cool. Like I'm 28 years old and 
Like I, I have this recording studio and like, I don't feel like I'm famous or, you know, uh, I'm, I, I don't have a huge ego or anything, but like I've done like some cool stuff, but that wouldn't have happened if I didn't continuously keep doing this nonstop every day since I was 16. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, it's, it's work and it's being able to say, you know, okay, like this didn't work out. I failed at doing this. Like, what can I do now to, to not fail at this? What can I do to, I'm not making money. What can I do to make money? Okay. Like it's not turning out the way I like it. How can I, you know, make it sound good? How can I make it look good? You know, you, you just have to figure it out. And uh, it's, it's just part of the process. You just have to accept what the process is. You know, if you're fortunate enough, you'll have like a big homie or like a mentor, you know what I mean? That's kind of already done some stuff that, that you're already doing and maybe take you under their wing and then show you, you know, like, Hey, like I learned this, don't do this. You know what I mean? And that could save you some time. And definitely that helped me a lot too. Like I, I have, you know, big homies and stuff in, in the music industry and just in life in general that, that have helped me avoid, you know, problems and uh, issues with my business and just with my life um, that, uh, you know, really saved me a lot of time, really, uh, really made it to where I didn't have to uh, fail at that specific thing right away. Um, I was able to, you know, get it done the right way very early on. So you're either going to learn from experience from yourself, or you're going to learn from experience by somebody who's got your back, but that's really what it is. Have you ever taken a break? No, I've never taken a break. Um, like, I mean, I've taken a vacation, you know what I mean? Like I've taken my wife to like Disneyland, (laughs) but like, I've never been like, you know what? I'm going to take a break from music. You hear that? Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a break from music for six months or for a year. You know, like I, I haven't had that. I've never taken six months off from doing it. You know what I mean? Like I, I can't think of a time where I ever did that. It's always been like, this is the plan. This is the goal. And this is what it is. And it's still like that, you know? Um, you know, I have goals and I, I have dreams that are beyond what I'm doing now. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I, I couldn't imagine just being like, oh, well, I'm gonna try something else for six months at this point. Like, oh, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start, uh, uh, getting into, uh, computer programming for a year and see how that goes. Like, I just, it, it just wouldn't work. Well, I mean, the, it's it's interesting to me because it's like in podcasting, the average podcast lasts like eight to 10 episodes because the barrier to entry is really low. So anyone can buy a mic. I mean, every computer comes with a microphone. And so you see people, they start and then they expect to be like Joe Rogan. Even though Joe has, <laughs> you know, 1,500 or whatever episodes, he's got over a 1,000 episodes and he didn't become well-recognized until he's pushing like a thousand episodes. So he was doing it for a long period of time, but people think that, you know, you, you do one or you do two, three, and then the sexiness disappears. No, it really doesn't. 
And you only fail, like you talked about failure, but failure is a mindset. You only fail when you stop. That's when you, that's when, but like making mistakes is part of the learning journey. Like everyone makes mistakes. Like, okay, I shouldn't have done that, but I learned I won't do it again. Like you're supposed to make mistakes. Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, you'd have to be like an alien or something if you just were perfect from the get and you know what I mean? Had a, just a clear shoot up. Like it doesn't work like that. Um, you know, we're, we're prone to making mistakes and you know, the, the smart ones and the passionate ones will, you know, stay and continue, you know, and if it's not meant for them to do, then they'll stop. I've seen a lot of artists come and go. You know what I mean? I used to be in a group and um, when I was in high school and even in my early 20s. And I mean, I've been doing this for, I say since I was 16, it's even longer, but I'll I'll continue to say from 16. So I'm 28 now, 12 years. I've seen a lot of people come and go, you know, a lot of people who, you know, thought they were really passionate about it. But then, you know, something in life happens and it stops them and they end up taking that two year break. You know what I mean? And it's just never the same. You, you really just got to keep going. Yeah. And I feel like those, like I've, I reckon there are people who are so talented that are, that you just see, they don't make it. They have potential, but something stops oh, all them. The time. All the time. It's, it's more often than you think it's, it takes more than talent. You know, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that a person needs to have. Talent is one of them, you know, and not necessarily talent like, oh, you can sing really good or you can rap really good because there's people who can't do either really good, but they know how to entertain. You know what I mean? Like somebody like Takashi 69 like Takashi 69 isn't a good rapper at all, but he's an entertainer. I'll tell you what, he, his voice drives me crazy. He doesn't even have a a nice voice. I'm not a fan, but he's talented in the sense of he he keeps people entertained. People want to see what his antics are, you know what I mean? And things like that. So like, number one, you need talent, whether it's singing, rapping, entertaining, artwork, something. You need to have the talent. Then you need the passion and the drive to continue going even when things seem terrible and things aren't working out, you, you need that passion and that drive to say, you know, despite me losing money, despite people not believing in me, despite, you know, me not having the support that I think I should have, I'm just going to keep going. And, you know, if you don't have both of those, then it's, it's not going to work. Um, I also feel too like you need to you need to have um, some sense. You need to have a realistic um, you need to be realistic but not realistic at the same time. It's weird. Like you need to be able to be like, okay, I am going to be the biggest for you, like for you, like I'm gonna be the biggest podcast of all time. You know what I mean? And and have a huge inspiration you know but at the same time be realistic and say it's not going to happen tomorrow it's not going to happen next week you know what i mean like so you have to be realistic but also not realistic at the same time i always say like when i meet people 
and then they find out I do a podcast, but they're not really into hip hop. And they're like, Oh, who do you interview? Anyone I would know. And I'm like, if, if I, if you don't like hip hop and you've never heard of me, you probably don't know most of the guests I've ever interviewed. Like, you know, if I haven't interviewed Eminem and you don't, and that's all you know in hip hop guaranteed you, you haven't heard of me. So it's like, and then I mention a couple of names and they're like, yeah, I don't know who they are. And I'm like, well, who did you think I got? Like Snoop Dogg, 50 Cent. <laughs> like, and so it's like, all, it's, it it's, makes me laugh so much because it's like, I appreciate the interest, but like, I know this conversation, I've had that conversation so many times and it's like, but then people who are into it, they're like, oh, you've interviewed some cool people. I'm like, yeah. But like, you know, it's like a progression. It's not like yeah. you're going to book Dr. Dre or you're going to book Nicki Minaj. Like it just, it's a progression and you have to learn yeah, your it's craft. Step by step. It's step by step. Well, you mentioned your goals. What are your eventual goals? Because obviously, you know, you've been in the industry for a long time, but what are you really working towards? I mean, two of the big things that I really want and and that I'm working towards and it doesn't have to be my own music, um, just even something that I engineered, but I really want a gold record, a gold or platinum record. And I want um, a Grammy nomination. Like those are like what I really would like. Um, and then like, you know, I have lots and lots of goals for the studio. Um, you know what I mean? I'm constantly like buying gear and stuff for the studio. I just bought a microphone today. You know what I mean? So like I have goals as far as that goes and, and continuing to build that up my own music. Um, I mean, continue to build uh, what I, my foundation. So, you know, I have a strong foundation. I want to just continue to make new fans and, and collaborate with artists that, that I really enjoy and um, just keep doing what I'm doing, but better. <laughs> That's, those are, those are really what my goals are at this point in my life. Um, and I mean, I think that they're definitely achievable goals and they're like good goals to have, like they're, they're specific and they, they can within reach. But do you think like, do you think you, you'd stop? I feel like most people, I feel like you'd be one of these people, regardless of what goal you set, you achieve it. It's time for the next goal. So you get yeah, your gold or platinum and then you're like, let's get another one or let's get five. And you just keep oh, yeah. developing like that. It's like, oh, we went platinum. All right. I want a diamond record now. You know what I mean? That's selling 10 million. So like, yeah, like it's a gift and a curse because like you're never satisfied, you know, but um, I'm just addicted to the grind of it. I'm addicted to just the lifestyle of this and and the hustle and everything. Like I just... I can't imagine like doing anything else and don't get me wrong. Like there's been times and, and I feel like with anybody, there's times where I've said like, man, maybe I should quit. Maybe this isn't working out for me. You know what I mean? Maybe, uh, maybe I'd be better off doing something else. And then like reality sets in and it's like, okay, you want to do something else. Well, you know, all of your work experience is with this um you don't really have any experience doing anything else <laughs> so what are what the hell are you gonna do you know and you kind of snap out of it um and then like you know something good whenever like you feel that way 
like something good is coming. Like whenever I felt like very uninspired and down and, and saying, man, like, I don't know about this anymore. Something happens that totally revigorates it. And, um, you know, you just have to, uh, you have to trust it. You have to, even when your gut's telling you like, just stop, don't trust it. Keep, keep going. I a hundred percent agree. I've literally every week I feel like, uh, like it's not. And then all of a sudden I book someone that I really want to book and I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm doing the right thing. And then the following yeah. week I'm like, Oh, like it's, it's, it's just, it is what, especially when you're driven, I feel like when you're driven, you're like, and I'm an impatient person. So I'm like, I want everything right now, but then I have to, you know, make sure that the self-talk is like, it's a process, like calm the fuck down. Like it's not going to happen tomorrow. And then you just got to keep going. But I mean, I feel like people who stop and go back to full-time work, they regret it long-term. Like, Oh yeah, I think so. Uh, You know, I think a lot of people are unhappy doing what they're doing, you know, and I actually just wrote a song about this recently. Uh, it's it's not going to be out anytime soon, but yeah, I feel like there's a lot of people that, you know, are unhappy and stuff because they didn't, they, they didn't believe in themselves enough to bet on themselves and you have to believe in yourself enough to, to be able to bet on yourself. Like you have to be able to bet your livelihood on yourself, you know? And I mean, people will say like, oh, you know, you could go a safer route, but what's a safe route? You know, like you could work for somebody and then, you know, one day they just lay you off. Like the company's not making enough money and they're doing a layoff and you got to go. There goes all your benefits. There goes your income. And now you're figuring out what you got to do again. So like it, it may not even work out that way doing something that you don't want to do it may not work out so you might as well mind numbing it's mind numbing like let's even if (laughs) none of that happens it crushes your soul it really does like you know i still have a full-time job because you still need to pay bills but like i always say my long-term dream is to do this full-time and not have to have a full-time role because what i hate more than anything is people other people decide when you're ready to try something new or when you're ready to move up or when you're like, Hey, can I work from home? And they're like, no, you got to come in. It's like, why it just is so so annoying. And then, you know, office politics and like, yes, there are politics in the industry, but like, at least it's an industry. No matter what you do, there's politics and no matter what you do, you know what I mean? People who say, Oh, there's too much politics in the music industry are full of shit because there's politics if you work over at Olive Garden, you know what I mean? So like, it it doesn't matter. There's going to be politics and no matter what you do, there's going to be gossip and, and people talking shit and, you know, running their mouth, no matter what you do. So yeah, man, you might as well just do what you enjoy doing and yeah, dude, like keep going, like don't stop, just keep going. You know, like it's a transition, like, I, it took me five years to be able to stop working a regular job before I was able to fully transition into like just doing music and stuff. So like, give yourself the time, you know what I mean? Give, give yourself the time to, to establish your brand and, and spend a few years really doing it and figuring out ways to 
you know, make it a, a source of income um, to where you can slowly transition out from going full time to part time to full time doing what you want to do. And also, I I personally don't even think like I'm good enough interviewing yet, you know, because there are things that like there are things that I want to work on in the way that I do podcasts or the way that I, you know, deliver questions and stuff like that. So there's like other stuff. And I think like close to 40 episodes ago, I was like, I'm, I'm nailing this. And then recently I was like, oh, you're not even close to where you want to be. And I feel like that's a journey as well is like, you always want to get better at the craft, regardless of how experienced you are, because if you stop getting better, then you just stagnate. And then that's worse yeah. than anything else. Listen to, if you haven't already heard, listen to my record, not even close. <laughs> oh, I definitely will. I think it, it's so interesting because as much as like what you and I do are different, the same principles apply in the oh, sense that like, you know, you just got to keep going. And I've got friends who, who do the same thing. And I've, I've seen people who start and stop. And like, I remember when I started this, I joined some Facebook pages of like how to podcast and people are talking about podcasting and they're like, you know, what pod, what, what, what should I do it on? Well, it's like, it's like asking, what should I make a song about? It's like, you got to decide that for yourself. I can't tell you because if you're doing it, like if I'm like, all right, do a podcast about hip hop and you don't like the music, you're going to quit. It's like, right. Yeah. Like, it, you have to do, you have to do what you enjoy, period. And I think that's kind of the best lesson, but actually I did want to ask you as well about your grandmother, because obviously that's a big influence on your life. And obviously she's an, she was an artist as well, but how did that trend, like how did that influence come into your life and, what impact was that on you? I mean, out of everybody, you know, out of all my influences, it was the biggest impact. I mean, my grandma uh, grew up very poor during the Depression. Uh, she, she was born in uh, Philadelphia. And she spent most of her uh, childhood and everything in Philly. And then when she uh, turned 18, she went to New York and she pursued her uh, dreams of being a singer. And she did that for her whole life. She never had to work a, a regular job. She was singing. Um, she uh, mainly worked during like the Cole Porter era and stuff during the big band era um, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, um, all the way into like the 70s and stuff. Um, she performed for uh, President Eisenhower and you know what I mean? Did lots of cool stuff. The uh, cartoon jingles, obviously how she got Felix the Cat. She did a lot of those. Um, some of the other ones obviously didn't get as famous as, as Felix the Cat did. Uh, Felix the Cat was the biggest one. Um, but yeah, like she was the breadwinner uh, on my mom's side of the family, you know? And so like being, you know, being an artist and being a musician, like, when you tell people that that's what you want to do, a lot of people see it as like a pipe dream or something that's unachievable. But like when, when you know somebody and, and not only know somebody, but it's your grandma who like during a time, even in history, when women weren't like the breadwinner and stuff that like, she like was able to do it and live an entire life 
off of doing it. Like it makes it that much more tangible for you. You know what I mean? So like that alone, uh, it never, I never felt like it's impossible to do because of her. You know, I never had like that real, like overwhelming doubt of like, it's impossible to do. You just need to be lucky. And I've never, I've never felt that way. Um, But yeah, like I I was around it all the time. Like I'd see her pictures of her singing and stuff. uh, And she even did um, Hooked on Phonics. She recorded for that. And so like when I was like an infant and a toddler, like my grandma was like teaching me the rhyming families, you know, which is crazy because it it definitely foreshadows into, you know, what I ended up doing with my life. But yeah, like it it, it was just a constant presence um, and, and a huge influence. So yeah, I I don't know if I would have even, even if I did like love music and love hip hop as much as I, I do. I don't know, like if I would have been able to, to do it without her. Um, so yeah, very, very big influence. Is she still alive? No, she passed away in uh, 2013. Okay. So she's been gone for a little while. Cause I feel like something I learned recently and is like all old people have a story and it's an interesting oh, yeah. story. And like, I could just imagine you just like asking her about her life and just how interesting it would be in terms of, you know, the challenges she faced in terms of, you know, going to New York at 18, young woman, essentially the economy is in a crisis at the time, uh, then followed by World War II, and she's still obviously making a career for herself. Like that whole journey is so, would be just amazing to listen to. Yeah, it, it was great. I, I, I learned a lot of valuable lessons from my grandma. I learned a lot about what to expect. I wasn't naive going into the music business and stuff. You know, I, I understood, um, you know, that there are people that aren't good in it and, uh, you know, to, to move cautiously and stuff. Um, and yeah, I learned a lot of great lessons from her. I, I got to hear a lot of great stories and, was able to see uh, an example of somebody in my life that was able to, to do what they love doing. So um, yeah, it's great. And then my dad, he ended up not sticking with it, but my dad in the eighties, he worked for uh, polygram records, uh, which was a, a, a bigger label um, back in the day. They, they like did like the Bee Gees and staying alive. That was a big record that my dad helped promote and stuff. So like, he worked in the record business for a, a, a little while. And then my cousin, uh, you know, obviously ended up getting into engineering and stuff. So literally like every generation of my family from my grandma on has, has done something uh, in entertainment and music uh, at one point in time. So uh, yeah, like it's, it's kind of inevitable that, I was going to end up doing what I'm doing. I think it's always so cool because it just, like you said, it shows you that it's possible, that it's not a fantasy. And you see it like so often with actors and their kids become actors like Will Smith and his children there in the entertainment industry. And you see it with music as well. And it's just like, as soon as people see the path, they're like, oh, this is way better than doing the traditional shit. Like 
It just 100%. And like, I feel like now more than ever, and I had this conversation with like my brother the other day, and I, I feel like now more than ever, people are like, I don't see myself working at a company for the rest of my life. I see myself working there to like make my way for now. And then when I'm ready or when I've got enough, you know, cash behind me, I'm going to start my own thing, whether it's their yeah. own business or it's run a cafe or, it's, you know, whatever it might be, it doesn't have to be in entertainment. But I feel like these days, everybody's got a dream. Everybody's got a dream and, and everybody wants more than what they have right now, you know, and, um, some are going to work harder towards it than others. And, and those will be the ones that actually, you know, get to see it through, you know, unfortunately not everybody's going to be able to live out their dreams for one reason or another, but the majority of the time it's going to be because, of overwhelming self doubt, um, other people doubting, you know, you and, and it influencing you enough to doubt yourself. Um, or just not working hard enough and not, um, not foreseeing the, uh, you know, the workload and, and the level of, uh, expectations that you, that you need to put out there. And also like one, just one bad, one extra bad break, you know, like, I feel like there are some, like, you know, there's, there's always a breaking point where something goes wrong and then something else goes wrong. And then they just can't, they can't bounce back after, you know, third, fourth, fifth, or, or the, even the first one. It just, you got to like, bounce back though, man. You got to bounce back. You know, I mean, in 2020, like my, uh, before even COVID hit the, uh, the third day of the year. So January 3rd, I came to the studio, the whole studio had flooded a pipe burst in the bathroom wall. So the whole studio was flooded. Then three weeks later on my birthday, my dad had a stroke. Then after that, finally, after insurance comes and we get like, you know, the studio fixed and everything, it's March, I'm able to come up and running. Then COVID happens. You know what I mean? Like, so like, yeah, like you can't, you can't allow like outside forces stop you, you know, like you have to, you, you can't allow something like that to break you, you know? A lot of people will just fold, you know, when things become difficult or inconvenient, you know what I mean? But you have to be able to, uh, to push past it. Well, I mean, Elon Musk said he almost went broke trying to make Tesla yeah. happen. Like yeah. He was, there was, he was literally, he gambled. Oh, there was another business where they literally gambled the last thousand dollars where they went to the casino and they're like, we need extra money. They gambled. I think it was like 5K they put on the line because they needed 10. They're like red or black. We either get it or we don't. And they got the 10 and they make a company. I forget what it was, but like the, what people forget is success comes from costs, like whether it's personal or whether it's like there's always a cost associated to it. And you yeah, have to. 100%. You got to make the sacrifice, you know. Well, but how is your father, by the way? Him. How is your huh? dad? How is your father, oh, yeah. by the way? He's good. Yeah, he's good. He, uh, he, uh, a few months after that, he was able to walk again and stuff. And he had no real, um, no real lasting, uh, problems from the stroke and stuff. So the best case scenario ended up happening, thankfully. But I mean, it's a very stressful time, you know, um, especially with COVID and stuff, um, and the business, uh, 
uh, taking a hit like that. So, I mean, it's always going to be something. There's always going to be something in the way. And, um, you know, after a while, you may get jaded and the thing in the way, the thing in the way may become the excuse. And so you got to just, you really got to just keep going. Well, I love that. And obviously, and it was on your birthday, which doesn't make it any better at all. Like because you're riding an emotional high and then all of a sudden it's the lower of lows. Yeah. Tough times, but we're here. We made it. We're back. Almost 2022. So I can't believe it. I'll be 29 in January. So. Oh, when's your birthday? I'll be 28 in January. Uh, January 22nd. Um, January 5th. It would be so weird if it was the same day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my cousin, uh, my cousin's birthday is on the 8th. So, yeah, all very close. There we go. Well, it's a time to celebrate, I think. And, uh, well, man, I only have one more question for you. Um, yeah. It's probably going to be the hardest question I ask. It's the only question that I plan. So let's hope it's good. But if you had to recommend one album that everybody should listen to at least once to get an appreciation of, what would it be? It can't be obviously your music uh, and it can be any genre as well. Mm. You're right. That is a tough one. That's <laughs> why so I like um, being in my chair because I get to ask it and I don't have to. <laughs> you just get to watch them squirm. <laughs> um, one album, any genre. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go with Thriller, Thriller by Michael Jackson, because Thriller changed uh, the music industry. It changed what uh, pop music uh, was, and it set the bar incredibly, incredibly high for everybody. No one will ever do it ever again. No one's ever gonna sell a hundred million records off one album ever again. Um, if you listen to it, it sounds like a greatest hits. Like if you put it on from beginning to end, it's a greatest hits album. Um, and it revolutionized, uh, the music videos, uh, with Billie Jean and Thriller and, and beat it. I mean, those music videos really changed the game, um, for music videos just in general. So, um, yeah, like it's arguably the most iconic album of all time. So if you haven't heard Thriller, like you need to listen to Thriller and on top of listening to Thriller, you need to watch the music videos and then learn to appreciate it. <laughs> well, the, the, what I love about that question is how many hip hop artists talk about things outside the hip hop genre. Like it, it, it astounds me the, the breadth in which like hip hop artists listen to other music and be like, I will take that from that genre and that genre. Like it's just awesome to me. And I always love, love the interesting answers. And yeah, the, like Michael Jackson is not my favorite artist, but like I remember growing up and like literally every time in school, it was always playing like all the teachers love it. Like it is, it is just iconic in the music industry. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it, it was lightning in a bottle you know, and you're never going to see it happen ever again. So, 
um, from every from every aspect of it. I mean, it's it's really just a perfect album, and it had a perfect rollout. It had perfect marketing. Like, I I have nothing bad to say about Thriller. So, yeah, if you could listen to one album of any genre and appreciate it from top to bottom, everything about it, it's got to be Thriller. Well. There you go. I love that answer. And I think maybe someone else might have mentioned Michael Jackson, but you get the the double approval. Uh, so if you haven't checked it out, make sure you check yeah. it out. I would be surprised, <laughs> unless you're like really young, if you don't know who Michael Jackson is. There will be um, a, a generation that don't know who Michael is. There might be at some point, but I don't know. If it wasn't Michael Jackson, though, then it would probably be like one of the Beatles albums. It would probably be like Revolver or uh, or Abbey Road one of those um, neck and neck. I almost said Abbey Road. So that was, that was my next one. I was debating in my mind, but I got, I got to go with Mike for this one. So <laughs> there you go. Did you, so we did Thriller come to your head? Cause I feel like for most people, thr- like they have an album that goes to their head straight away and then they actually debate like, Oh, is that the album? Like, did, or did it take some time to find it? No, thrill, Thriller's the one for Mike. Yeah, Thriller's the one. I mean, he has other albums that are great and songs that are great, but Thriller's the one. Um, but yeah, Abbey Road too. I mean, shit, Abbey Road is just classic. So I, uh, it was hard. I, it took me. I, I knew it was going to be one of those two. I didn't know which one, um, but I chose Mike because of the music video aspect and the amount of records that it sold um, and that he was a solo artist as well. So um, yeah, like, but both albums though, if I could choose two, Abbey Road would be number two. Well, we'll let you have it. It's not like I'm going to cut it from the <laughs> podcast. We'll let you have it, but bag of tricks, cat. I appreciate you coming on the show. If you haven't checked him out, check him out on Spotify. He's got some YouTube videos as well. Make sure you follow him on IG for any updates. Um, he's worked with some fantastic artists. I think I saw you worked with bizarre from D 12 as well. Whitney Payton, who we've already mentioned. So, uh, and check out his engineering already has, is on you can see the billboard charts and the plaques behind him right now so definitely check him out give him your support but is there anything else you wanted to plug or anything else you wanted to shout out before we finish up no subscribe subscribe to your show if you're listening right now go subscribe (laughs) definitely subscribe keep supporting both of us and the more you support us the more content we get to put out uh and then we get to keep you happy so you know we live for the fans really if there were no fans then it makes our jobs really difficult so the more support we get the easier it is we just be talking to ourselves which to be honest i do anyway but this makes it seem (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah man thanks for listening to the show Please like and subscribe and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for upcoming podcast news. Also, don't forget to check out my Patreon under hip hop hustle for exclusive content and to help support the show. Bye for now.